Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Markets are clearly being driven by the geopolitical issues coming out of Ukraine. Uh, but there was a lot of eco data uh, this morning on primarily on the labor front. Some pretty good numbers, too, in terms of non-farm payrolls coming in better than expected. Let's break it all down with Sarah House, senior economist at Wells Fargo Securities. Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to join uh, us. What did you make of the labor data this morning? Overall, this was a really strong report. So obviously, we had much stronger growth in terms of payroll numbers. It was broad-based across sectors. We also had an increase in the work week. And so I think that points to growth here in the first quarter certainly being stronger than what was generally expected. And I think one thing we saw was that stood out was that flat reading in, in average hourly earnings. And so this coincides with some moderation we've seen in the ECI, some of the moderation we've seen in things like the small business survey compensation plan. So I think in, in some ways that uh, that's good for the overall inflation outlook and therefore the overall growth outlook, considering that it suggests that wage growth isn't, isn't running away well, and, and taking inflation with it. Is it a good thing? I, I mean, this is what I was wondering as, as I was looking through the numbers. Wages kind of have to go up pretty quickly for people to maintain pace with the with the increase in inflation and with the oil and commodity shock more generally. Doesn't this just reduce purchasing power essentially? It does in the short term, but I think in terms of keeping the inflation environment somewhat reined in or at least reducing the risk that it gets further out of control, I think it's an it's an important it's an important print in, in that matter. And I think it suggests in, in some ways that the Fed can actually be a little less aggressive in, in terms of their tightening tightening plans in light of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing on the commodity front. All right, Sarah, so what do, you th what do you expect this Federal Reserve to do on the back of this uh, data set this morning? I'm, I look at the WIRP Go function on the terminal, and it shows the streets thinking about six rate hikes this year. Is that kind of how you're th seeing it? So right now we're at five rate hikes for the year, but obviously there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of things that could change even between now and, and the March meeting. So we're still looking for the Fed to raise 25 basis points here at their next meeting. I think we saw that not only from Powell this, Powell this week, but also from Evans this morning. Now, I think that's notable considering he's traditionally been one of the most dovish members on the committee. But I think when you step back and you look at where the labor market is, the fact that the inflation side of the mandate has been more than met, that until we see more significant spillover effects to, to the U.S. economy, the Fed is in a position where they, they need to adjust policy. They need to, to try and get it more centered in light of that labor market and inflation backdrop. Sarah, this is what I've been thinking about all morning. Does it really matter? I mean, yeah, from perhaps a visual standpoint, it matters if the Fed hikes rates. But what's it actually going to do right now, given the disruption that you're seeing in markets, given how low yields are, even with the prospect of inflation running at the hottest pace since 1981? I think you're right that it is more a signaling stance at this point. 
and that when we look at the tightening in financial conditions, you know, a lot of this is, has already been priced in. But I think it also gives the Fed some additional optimality. So not much with the 25 basis point increase, but all sequel a little bit more. And again, it goes back to, to that signaling, especially at a time when inflation expectations have, have moved significantly higher. So even at the long end, they're up towards the top end of the range we've seen over the past decade or so. And I think the Fed wants to make sure that they do not break out further from that. And that's going to be very difficult in light of this commodity backdrop, given that energy prices and food prices are are some of the most influential factors in consumers' inflation expectations. So, uh, Sarah, the unemployment rate, the headline number 3.8%, is that the new full employment for this economy? So I think when you... you I I think it is consistent with, with full employment. So it's below where the Fed estimates that is. And I think when we step back and we look at the overall wage picture, so yes, we saw some softness today, but obviously the trend has been very strong. And so that's all consistent with the labor market that's at full employment. But it's not just the unemployment rate that we see that. We see it in things like measures against unemployed persons versus job openings, the overall employment population ratio among prime age workers, and even even underemployment, uh, although we did see the U6 tick up today. Sarah, before we let you go, just real quick, how much did you ratchet back your expectations for growth after seeing the events of the past two weeks? So we haven't published a a new forecast, but I think when you look at the sensitivity to growth around some of the increase in in commodity prices, you are looking at potentially somewhere around half a percent if you saw uh, energy and uh, and food prices increase about 35%. So oil prices are, are past that point, but food prices haven't gotten quite there. But I think importantly, with the starting point for the U.S. economy, there is some room to give on growth where before it slips below trend, let alone a recession. Inflation, we don't have that room to give. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on this Jobs Day. Sarah House, Senior Economist, at Wells Fargo Securities here. Uh, Another weekday to the tape here, uh, Lisa. I think, uh, again, the geopolitical issues are really what's driving a lot of this market. Yeah, you know, this should have been payrolls Friday, and President Biden just put out a statement on the jobs report talking about how people are getting back to work, but right now, pandemic might be ending, but the focus is elsewhere. Yeah, I I guess it takes a good old-fashioned European war to get the pandemic off the front pages. I mean, we just haven't... I I could do without, I gotta say. Yeah, I know. It's it's, uh, pick your poison, I guess, in these things. All right, let's talk a little eco stuff here. And you go eco, go on the Bloomberg Terminal. It brings up all the salient uh, economic uh, data coming out of the U.S. government. Again, the data point today was... um, Change in non-farm payrolls came in at plus six seven hundred and seven six hundred seventy-eight thousand versus a consensus of four hundred twenty-three thousand. So a good good beat there. We had a revised upward revised to the prior month there. So all good on the labor front. Let's break it down with Russell Price, chief economist with Ameriprise Financial. Uh, Russell looked like a really solid number. What's your view of the U.S. labor market these days? Yeah, Paul. You know, I think it really uh, is a very solid uh, backdrop for the, the job market right now. I think uh, that's evident not just in today's report, but in the reports that we've seen over the last few months, and as far as other um, uh, side reports that we've seen, as far as the job openings and labor turnover survey, uh, what were the um, uh, reports that we're hearing from individual companies as far as the, the strength of uh, them finding it difficult to find workers. Um, so it's a very strong market, but 
from one thing that's uh, very apparent from today's report is that we're finally starting to see a little bit of improvement in the pace of people returning to the job market. The labor force participation rate over the last two months uh, grew by four-tenths of a percent. I don't I know that doesn't sound like much, but it's uh, equal to the gain that we saw uh, uh, in all of 2021. So as COVID eases, I think that we should continue to see uh, more people be willing to rejoin, willing or able to rejoin the, the job market. That's good because it puts more people to work, and it also should take some pressure off of uh, wage gains as well. So there's this idea right now, and you're seeing this in currencies, certainly with the dollar strength and the euro weakness, that the U.S. will be able to avoid stagflation even in the face of this commodity shock, but Europe will not. Do you think that that is consistent with what you're seeing? Yes, I do think so. I, uh, we believe right now that uh, when you look at stagflation, uh, that is a weak or stagnant pace of economic expansion uh, during periods of very high inflation. We do think that at uh, current crude oil prices, and it's really a story about energy prices, particularly when you're talking about the difference between the United States and, and Western Europe, um, it's the impact of uh, those higher uh, prices for energy. Here in the United States with crude oil prices, as was just mentioned, uh, crude oil at about $113, we think that anywhere between $100 and $120 should have a negative impact on our real GDP by about half to one full percentage point. So our estimate for this year coming into the year was for real GDP to grow by 3.5%. Um, so, uh, so the current West Texas intermediate price is a drag on that number, but there's still plenty of underlying room for growth in our view. It's more uh, negatively impactful for Europe because they import much more than we do. And uh, those imports, uh, it, not only do they pay a higher price, but it's at greater risk because they import so much from Russia uh, itself. All right. So, Russell, how do you think the data that we've seen over the past several days, including today's uh, jobs data and the geopolitical risk uh, that we're all uh, witnessing in Ukraine, how do you think that impacts what our Federal Reserve is going to do for the remainder of the year? Yeah, I think they still have to be concerned about the negative influence of uh, energy prices, and the, which is the, ex, uh, the extrapolation from the problems in, in Europe and uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, I think that still has to be a very significant uh, component of their calculations. So I agree that, uh, well, we already know from the Fed chair citing the other day that uh, he's going to support a 25 basis point hike here in their meeting next week. Um, so uh, we expect 25 basis points, and we expect for the full year probably four or five 25 basis point hikes, uh, including the one we see uh, possibly you know, in, in the, 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 on the 15th. So um, the Fed, they do are able to look at the job market and lean into that as a position of strength. In other words, one of the things that they would be most, uh, they don't want to do is slow the economy to where it slows the job market to where we're seeing net job losses. But we're in such a position of strength that gives them uh, some leeway to, to hike um, uh, as, as they feel needed to constrain inflation. Uh, so it is still the wild card with energy prices, and that is 
uh, at the moment at least, very uh, highly dependent on the situation in Ukraine, which is, um, remains uncertain and unknowable. All right, Russell, thank you so much. We really appreciate getting uh, your thoughts and perspective there. Russell Price, Chief Economist at Ameriprise Financial. The jobs data, again, better than expected numbers, and we want to break it down a little bit. We can do that with Tom Gimbel, founder and CEO of the LaSalle Network. Tom, some pretty solid numbers on the labor front. It looks like folks are getting back into the workforce. What's your takeaway? Pretty solid. I'd say they're outstanding. Yep. <laughs> you need to see things things bouncing back and you know I, i'm i'm a realist and i'm an optimist and i look at this and it says uh corporations are very bullish on where things are they continue to hire people we're coming into the spring the summer the masks are off companies continue to grow and uh i'm very optimistic you know we'll see what happens when the the 25 basis points increase but i think things are continuing to grow and we're gonna have a great summer of hiring as well Tom, talk to us about kind of the wages. We had, uh, you know, the, the street was looking for 0.5% gain in average hourly earnings on a month-to-month basis. Came in at 0.0. How do you think about wages here? Because we've certainly seen, you know, the Walmarts of the world, the McDonald's of the world, ramping up their entry-level uh, per-hour wages. How do you think about wage inflation? Yeah, I think the fact that it was zero is actually a good thing. <clears throat> it means that people aren't moving and the wages aren't increasing just because people are throwing money. It means that we're getting a little bit of a more stable job market and economy, that we're not bribing people for certain things, that people are reentering the workforce, that COVID's settling down, and that companies are hiring due to growth and not bribing people, and that we're seeing a really, really strong labor market that's based on both. It's almost an equal of uh, – of supply and demand kind of, you know, when you have a short supply, wages are going to increase to get people. When you have an e- almost an equal supply and demand and you don't have wage increase, it actually shows that you've got a market that's working. So I'm very uh, optimistic about where this thing's at right now. Tom, when you talk to your uh, client companies that you work with, what are they doing to, uh, that might be different, unique, new, different from pre-pandemic levels in, in terms of trying to attract workers? The number one thing that we're emphasizing with our clients and we're seeing them do is learning and development. You've got to invest more money to make your people better. And that creates continuity. It creates a sense of collegiality. And it also lets them know that you're invested in their career and their future. And they feel a bigger connection to the company. And so when you have that, they're going to be more a more stable company is a better attraction of talent. And when you have more turnover, you're always backfilling in addition to growth. People can sense that, and they don't want to join those companies. So every company is going to try to do recruiting bonuses and retention bonuses. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to do more happy hours and fun things to get people in the office. Or they'll go the other way and let people work from home just to try to stay. But it's really the learning and development and investing in people that sets a culture that people want to join. Tom, I'm back in the office every day, but I'm the aberration. How do you think this shakes out? I think we'll end up seeing, for the most part, uh, no less than three days a week and really four days a week. I think Friday is going to be remote Friday like it was casual Friday. And it's going to be, you know, you'll have a few places, maybe law firms or banks or something that are in the office on Friday. But most companies will be re- uh, not in mandatory in the office, remote Fridays. And the majority of companies will be three to four days a week. 
Well, that sounds pretty good to me, I guess. Um, but I come in every day, so we'll see how it plays out. Tom, I'm right thanks. There. I'm right there with you. Right there. <laughs> exactly. I, someone, no, someone didn't give me a choice, as I recall, but here I am anyway. Tom Gimble, founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, uh, talking to us about this blowout jobs number we had today. Uh, again, came in well above expectations. We had an upward revision to last month's jobs data as well. So, again, folks are kind of getting back into this labor economy. You know, when I saw Jeffrey Cleveland on our list of guests today, I said, there's something odd about this dude. I just can't remember what it is, uh, but it's even more than odd. It's troubling. Jeffrey Cleveland, director and chief economist at Payton & Regal. What's odd is he's an avid swimmer, but that doesn't really capture it. He swam across the English Channel in 2008, across the Catalina Channel in 2009, and around Manhattan in 2010. This triple crown of open water swimming has only been completed by 40 people. So what's wrong with this guy? Anyway, Jeff, you're a good economist. I guess that's why we talked to you. I mean, a perfectly good boat would do just fine here. Uh, but congratulations on being an amazing swimmer. What would you take out of the jobs day, but, uh, data today? It seemed pretty darn good to me. Well, it was, yeah, solid report. Best report in rough, yeah, eight months in terms of the headline uh, nonfarm payroll number. We seem to be in this, this range of, of monthly payroll growth of, of around 500,000 or so. That's, that's really strong. I think, you know, I really always like to look at the employment to population ratio for 25 to 54 year olds. I think that's your, you know, core working age population. And that's probably your best, uh, you know, filter. You can filter out a lot of the noise, you know, aging workforce, all these kind of things. And uh, that, that jumped again. 79.5. We're, we're still shy of where we were pre-COVID, but we've improved on that measure mightily in the last 12 months. Um, so no sign, I would say no sign of stagnation here. We're seeing very strong growth in the, in the first quarter if you look at uh, jobs as your, as your key indicator. 3.8% uh, headline unemployment. Is that the new full employment for this economy? No, I think we can go lower. We think we'll get to 3-3 by the end of the year. That's our forecast. Uh, we did see labor force participation tick up um, a little bit this month, and we think there's there's more room. There's there's some folks that are sidelined. You know, it's not retirement. It's they were sidelined because of the virus, because of childcare responsibilities, et cetera. And they will, we think, come back in as the year progresses. That's not unusual in. You know, the last three cycles, you saw that as the unemployment rate got lower and lower, people were enticed to reenter, come back off the sidelines, and so we think that will happen. But uh, 3.8 is not the the end point here. We'll get we'll get we'll get lower on the unemployment rate um, later this year. How do you think uh, the Fed looks at you know a job print like we saw today? Well, I think you know there's some concern. People are talking about GDP growth in Q1 being flat or even negative. And, you know, my advice is, you know, I, I prefer job growth to GDP growth in, in real time in terms of getting a, getting a sense of the economy. So I would I would overweight the, the jobs data versus the GDP data. So that's that's one. And, and as I said, this this is telling you the economy is still growing very strongly, very swiftly in, in the first quarter. So that's the first thing. There, there's some concern in some quarters, some some folks I talk to in the bond market, bond traders friends, uh, colleagues, they'll say, you know, they're, they're, they're concerned about a wage price spiral, but you're, you're not really seeing that here in this, in this jobs report, obviously flattish month to month, average hourly earnings, average hourly earnings up 5% year on year. 
Um, if you factor in inflation, you got negative real wage growth there. So you're yep. not seeing some worrisome signs of a wage price, price style. So the Fed's probably okay with that. I mean, it argues, I guess, for the 25 basis point versus the 50 basis right. point, doing something more dramatic. So that, that's probably your key takeaway. I just don't want people to make too much out of one month, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, wage data. I think there could be some noise in there, compositional effects um, in terms of the hiring done, done during the month. So I, I think job or wage growth will continue to pick up as, as the year goes. How do you factor in? I mean, so we have a strong labor market, a healing and improving labor market, but we've still got energy prices going through the roof here. I got WTI crude up another three and a half percent to one hundred and eleven dollars a barrel. I've got a, a, now I've got a war, so I've got the geopolitical issues out there. I've got supply chain issues, soaring commodity prices. How do you factor that into your GDP outlook? Well, what we've done is we've shaved uh, GDP growth for the year due in large part to the, the factors that you're describing. So we started the year thinking the U.S. economy would grow about 4%. We've now shaved that down to three-tenths of a percent, so we're at 3.7. We've raised our inflation. Uh, so we do think inflation will fall over the course of the year. So core PCE, for example, we have it getting to 3.3 by the end of the year. Okay. Um, Previously, we thought it was going to fall maybe to three or even below. So we've, we've shaved GDP, we've raised inflation, and that puts the central bank in a tough spot, right? You still have decent growth. You don't have a recession, but you, you have the risk that inflation will come in higher than forecast, and um, so they, they should be hiking. Uh, you know, the, how quickly they hike, you know, they're, you know, monetary policy is very accommodative right now. Yep. I think we're at $9 trillion on the Fed balance sheet. We're still at zero, and we've got uh, inflation. So I think they need to get going with that. But, uh, I mean, I guess the, the concern I have here is the financial markets. The signals we're getting from financial markets are not giving a green light to tightening policy. So what right. do I mean? Two's tens. Two's tens curve, flattening. Now we're under 30 bips. That's usually a precursor to slower growth. Right. When the two's tens curve inverts, you mean you, know, you have a recession on the horizon. There's some lags there, of course, but that's worrisome. The crude oil situation that yep. you mentioned, like sharp rises in crude oil tend to precede recession, so I'm, I'm concerned about that. And then I'm watching, you know, uh, our chart of the week this week was the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index. Right. And when t financial conditions do tighten, uh, that yep. gives central bankers reason to pause. So, All right. Um, Good stuff. Lots of things to worry about to put into that uh, equation. Certainly, Jeff Cleveland, Director and Chief Economist of Payton Regal, joining us. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.